Moment of Grace with Ed Taylor. Bringing you Jesus Christ. This is The Way. WIAM 101.1. Current events. Personal values. Political and social issues. Technology. Wars and tensions. Join us for the next hour to discuss and learn how the things happening in our world today point to God's prophetic word as signs of the times. Why is a young female red cow important to Jewish ceremony and biblical prophecy? Pastor Mark will educate us. We'll look at more anti-Semitism as earthquakes and disease increase and the church keeps falling away. That's the world's news, but what does the Bible have to say? We'll listen and learn together as we look at the signs of the times. Our weekly review of Bible prophecy of the world's news for Friday, September 23rd. 2022. You can continue listening and learning when you subscribe to our podcast through Apple, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google. Or for advanced studies, consider watching episode 234 directly on the Way Media app or at thewaymedia.net. Uh, the only place where you can read the articles from this show or ask Pastor Mark your prophecy question. And now, here to read from the teleprompter of prophecy is Pastor Mark, (laughs) who likes to ponder the impossible. Like the other day, he asked, if you arrest a mime, do you have to tell him he has the right to remain silent? (laughs) That's a good point. Do you know? Does he get his Miranda rights? Yes, does he? (laughs) (laughs) You know, this, this is the teleprompter for us. It is. Here's our teleprompter. It's the teleprompter for prophecy. There you go. That's but that's no. That was good. That was a good one. That was that was um, yeah. I, well, I'll tell you what. It's like it's like digging for truffles. Yeah. So, well, you're lucky when you find any. <laughs> well, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, but that's you know it's yes. It's, that was that was okay. You did well. You did well. <laughs> uh, it's the hardest part of the program. People don't understand those yeah. things. Just know you're a truffle maker. Yes. <laughs> yes, I am a truffle maker. Yes. <laughs> All right, let's get into some prophecy for this Friday. Uh, heading over to Israel, uh, Israel 365 News. Uh, they're calling this an exclusive because yeah. I guess there was video attached to this article. There was. Um, red heifers arrive in Israel. Yeah. Uh, so, Pastor Mark, why are red heifers arriving in Israel? What's the biblical importance? What's the prophetic significance yeah. of this happening? This is huge. Let me read some of the article, and we're going to take a minute, Greg, and yeah. talk about it. But the Temple Institute of, uh, and Bonet Israel made a huge step towards reinstating the temple service on Thursday when five red heifers landed at Ben Gurion International Airport. The red heifer was the main component in the biblically mandated process of ritual purification for impurity that results from proximity or contact with a dead body. Because the elements needed for this ceremony have been lacking since the destruction of the Second Temple, all Jews today are considered, all Jews today are considered ritually impure, note that, thereby preventing the return of the temple service. So until this issue is solved, you cannot have the temple sacrifices on the Temple Mount, which is huge because the Bible says in the last days they will rebuild their third temple and they will start having these sacrifices again. So this is a major, major, major prophetic thing for the nation, Greg, um, this red heifer. Now, d- real quickly, just a because you talked about the ashes and how important the ashes are. Yeah. Is that why uh, we read so many times in the Bible that they covered themselves in sackcloth and ashes? You know, it, 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 you know, is there is there any correlation there? I mean, I know that that was a, a lot in mourning. Yeah, what they were doing that right. But is the ashes 
a similar significance to what we're talking about with the red heifer? You know, I don't think directly linked, but that is an interesting thought because I've never made that. The reason I don't think, uh, you know, they would sit in sackcloth and ashes. There there may be some direct link. I've never, ever uh, run across that in my studies. I've never, anybody made a comment on that. When it comes, doesn't mean you're not onto something. Um, you know, it, it we'll, we'll get into the direct meaning of it, but let me just say, you okay. know, I like, I like kind of looking, thinking outside the box. There may be some application there and kind of follow that until later notice yeah, the back of the brain. Sure. And when you study, you know, Hey, there may be. So either way, it does symbolize that total, you know, everything's wrecked and burned up or whatever is why they would do that. You know, you're in ashes your whole life. Yeah. It's like my whole life has become ashes. It was very symbolic. Um, but so there may be something that, okay. that's, that's intriguing. Um, but the more specific meaning here, Greg, I yeah. want to read a little bit of this for you about what really this is so people understand. First of all, the first thing I want to note is why is this not only such a big deal, which we talked about without it, people can't do sacrifices again, but why did it take 2,000 years? Well, remember, nobody was really looking for a red heifer until they came back in Israel in 1948. So really for almost 2,000 years, nobody was looking because it would have done no good. If you found one, it wouldn't help. But now they have been actively looking for a red heifer since they got back in the land. And though I can't say for sure they did it in 1948, my guess is the moment they reestablished themselves as a nation, probably the Orthodox religious Jews began, that thought process began. We need to get back to the Temple Mount. We need to do the sacrifices, and we're going to need a red heifer. Because right now, without the red heifer, understand the significance of this. Without With us, we've got Jesus Christ, so we can be forgiven at any moment when we go get the blood of the Lamb through prayer. They are living as an unclean people perpetually in their mind until they get that red heifer. So all the Jews know today, before God, they are un- unclean. Um, you think, well, how do they go to heaven? Well, they think doing more good than bad. They have a lot of similar mindset we do. But it's one of those things you really don't bring up because you don't want to think about it. And, and But now that you can think about it, it becomes very exciting. And let me give you some details. The slaughtering of the red heifer, you'll find that in Numbers 19. And Eleazar was told to oversee the ritual outside of the camp. You would take it outside of the camp, kill the animal. And notice the symbolism here, Greg. You would sprinkle some of the blood toward the front of the tabernacle uh, seven times, which is the number of completion. Um, and then you, you left the camp again and you, and you oversaw the burning of the carcass of the red heifer. And as it burned, the priest was to add some cedar wood, some hyssop and some scarlet wool. Now, this is amazing. Um, first of all, that you'd sprinkle the blood toward the t- tabernacle. I believe that Jesus being beaten there on the temple mm. mount, he was beaten, remember, by the Sanhedrin. Uh, they're toward the tabernacle. I believe it was literally fulfilled as his blood was sprinkled mm. toward the tabernacle. Yeah. They're beaten by them right. in that building that was built onto the tabernacle, uh, you know, called the Hall of Stones, where they would, where the Sanhedrin would be. It was literally was built onto the tabernacle. So when they beat him, he would have been, it would have been sprinkled toward there, you know, toward the, the tabernacle, if you will. And it's interesting. Amazing. Well, there are so many things that are amazing. Well, I'm just thinking about the hyssop. Uh, now i got to figure out the red scarlet, but continue. Well, let me go yeah, on. Yeah, well, yeah. They, then they would take some cedar wood. Hyssop and scarlet. Now, I believe we get revealed to hear what the cross was made out of. Mm. I believe because of this ritual, we know that the cross was made out of cedar wood. Interesting. And I think that they symbolically, the Lord used cedar wood in the ritual. Then they would dip it in hyssop. Do you remember what they lifted up to the Lord during the sacrifice? The, during the, hyssop? the sour wine. Yeah, on hyssop. Or the vinegar or whatever. On yeah. hyssop. And why was hyssop specifically so important yeah. to gather the blood? This is the same uh, um, plant they use, Greg, in in Egypt, in the Passover, they were to take hyssop and they dipped it in blood and put it on the doors in the shape of a cross. Now, why would they do that? Hyssop has like hairs on it, um, and so the blood would stick to it. So they used hyssop to put the blood in the form of a cross. If you go back and read that, they put it on the top and the two sides in Egypt, um, and then they used the hyssop to lift it up to the Lord as he took that sip. And then notice he was the Lamb of God covered in blood. They took scarlet wool. And put it in red colored sheep skin. So you have the cross mm. in the wood, the hyssop from the ceremony and Passover, as well as the blood, uh, and then the scarlet wool, which was the Lamb of God covered in scarlet, covered in red, covered in blood as the sacrifice for the sins of the world. I mean, when you when you start looking at the symbolism of this stuff, yeah, it blows your mind. Now, get this: it doesn't it doesn't stop there. I guess we, the red heifer still has to come in. Yes, the ashes again were, were were kept outside. They were they were in a ceremonially clean place outside the camp, used in the water for cleansing and purification of sin. What they would do is they would mix it in the water that you purified with when you went into the temple. So you put the water in these containers where you wash your feet and your hands. They'd sprinkle ashes in that container from the heifer. So it symbolized now when you went to wash off to get ready to go worship God, you now purify 
Levitically, ceremonially clean to go before God. They can't do that now. All they have is water. Once they have those ashes, the priests and the people can now be cleansed by this process to go and do the services unto the Lord. So those ashes now would have all of those elements that you just described in it. Absolutely. Well, you would have no the ashes themselves. Well, you're talking about you no were ta- the ashes themselves when they put in the water would just be the ashes in the water. But they would do a ceremony for the people where they put the wood. The hyssop and the red scarlet to cleanse the people, and then and then the priests again would have the red heifer in the water as they washed off in the lavers to go in to do their ceremonies. Oh, okay. I thought yeah. I thought you I thought you said is they were burning the carcass of the red heifer that they were adding in yeah. the hyssop, the cedar wood, and the red scarlet wool into that, and then that would get mixed in oh, yeah, with the yes. burning ash. No, and it does. So then that ash is the ceremonial ash right. becomes, and now all the elements yeah. of the cross yeah, yeah, yeah. are in the ash that are you're putting I, on I, the people. I stand corrected. Yes. You're right. They would burn it and put it in there with it. Yeah. So I was separating it out of my brain. But when that means you take those ashes that already had all that in it's there. All the, it's all in there. It's all there. So the, so, the, the ashes are the transport vehicle. Yes. And basically, it was it was the purification. If you come in contact with a dead body, everyone has because they have family that have died. They've been to funerals. That's why they're all ritually impure. But again, the Lord, that's the whole picture of we die. We have a dead body because we're dead before God. We have to be born again to be alive. And we're only born again by the cross cedar wood the hyssop which was the blood sprinkled for by the passover lamb and then the the lamb covered in blood red scarlet wool if you will hanging on the cross uh for us in our sins and so the symbolism is just amazing and beautiful so they're basically putting jesus christ on them every time they do the ritual water yes and they don't even know what they're doing they don't even know what they're doing um so again this the the whole picture here greg uh, of this thing very obvious. I mean, again, even the he was burnt. The uh, red heifer was burned outside of the camp. Jesus Christ went outside of the walls of Jerusalem, outside of the camp. He was crucified outside of the camp, and that's where his ashes remained. They took him out there and put him on the cross. His ashes remains, but he never had ashes. But you get the point symbolically. Right. So that's why this is so huge. Okay, it for it, it it gets them where they can do their sacrifices again. It again reminds them, and I wonder this time. Think about it. They have not done this ritual since jesus died on the cross and because of that they've never thought it through about what these things symbolize i wonder if the priest since 70 a.d at least well well, yeah i mean again um and i have to go back and check on this greg i think that the sacrifices or did uh, they stop they stopped after that passover if i'm not mistaken please don't quote me listeners i'll I'll double check that but i'm pretty sure they stopped and and you find that in the talmud and others where they you know the the sacrifices stopped because of all that was happening with rome but and and i believe that that was the last sacrifice but what's interesting about that is is that now they haven't done that since jesus died on the cross if that's correct and even if they did a little bit after that and i have to verify that they probably never thought about it but think about today all these two thousands of years, they've had all these people saying Jesus was your Messiah, and they're like going ah. And now they reinstitute this red heifer, reinstitute the red heifer. These men who go and burn these red heifers, and I'll get back to how they have to be pure in a moment. But if in when they do this, Greg, they have to do this ceremony. So they're going to have to take cedar wood, which that may not hit them, but then they've got to take hyssop. And they know that it says in the Gospels that hyssop was lifted up. They know that hyssop was used for the Passover lamb. They know that Jesus declared himself to be the Passover lamb. Then they have to take scarlet wool, red-colored wool. Was the, John said he's the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, and he was covered in blood. I wonder if it's going to hit any of them during this process going, wait a minute. Okay, that's just what a strange coincidence this all is, right? Anyway, well, the red heifer, the reason they're watching them is they're still young, and if they develop any blemishes, they have to do away with them. They can't use them. Well, they've got five to watch now, and five pure heifers at this point. One of them is bound to make it, and maybe more than one, and all they need is one, and the ashes last forever because you only use a small amount for each water um, uh, solution. Now, I'm not a farmer, so I don't understand the significance. When we say heifer, that's referring to a young female cow Correct. that has not become a calf. So I don't understand what that means. Like, it doesn't become an adult. So it's before it reaches adulthood. I'm, you know, obviously there's a timing issue because even you said, you know, develops uh, any blemishes. Right. So the, the cow has to be sacrificed in a certain time frame in its life. Right. Well, again, right. here's here's the official definition. Okay. A young cow, especially one that has not yet given birth to a calf. Ah, a virgin. There you go. 
So you're offering, you're offering, it is, it's, oh. it's in essence, yes, it's, yeah. a, it's a virgin cow, that's the best way to say yeah. it, heifer, a female, and um, again, you know, this is, the whole thing is so amazing, we, I just wonder how, if it's going to hit them or not. Now, it's me, hitting us. Well, let me add another flavor to you wow. here for our listeners, just so you know this, on one of our trips a few years back, and Greg, I don't know if you were on this one or not, and by the way, we are going again next May, for anyone listening to watch to join us on our trip to Israel next May 9th, just throwing that in as a plug, uh, contact uh, Inspired Travel and, and ask for Calvary Chapel Knoxville's trip and they'll add you in um, or call us but either way uh, our guide said they found another you know when they found all the scrolls in the Qumran caves um, they found one that had nothing in it but ashes and mm. they immediately got it and sent it away for evaluation to analysis analysis yeah. and they sent it to, to the, the people there in, in, in uh, antiquities in Israel now what's interesting about that is nobody ever heard what it was but our guide said this there is no reason to keep ashes in an urn in any Jewish tradition whatsoever other than the red heifer. And he said, therefore, many of the Jews in Israel, and I think he was kind of saying, I believe it too, and whether or not he came out and said it, he was kind of, they're kind of careful about yeah, it because yeah. causing uproars about exactly. Stuff. But he believes, I think, and of course, it's very interesting that they already have the ashes of not only a red heifer, but the one from 2,000 years ago when the temple was still standing. And he said, even if we don't find a red heifer before it's time, we're ready to go. And we have it from 2,000 years ago. And I'm going, oh, my goodness, it made sense. And you think, how did it get in there? Well, remember, they believe that the scrolls that are there, many of them, of course, some of them were down there by the, the Essenes that were down there and all that. But they believe that as they were fleeing Jerusalem in 70 AD, fleeing from the, uh, the Romans, that they grabbed the jar with the ashes of the red heifer, took them with them as they fled down to Herodian, uh, not the Herodian, I'm sorry, uh, to Masada. Herodian was another palace of Herod's. But when they fled to Masada, they took them with them. And along the way, Greg, that's where those caves are. They went up in the caves, hid some scrolls, hid the ashes of the red heifer, knowing this, that Jews that survived in generations to come, when they found them, would know exactly what they are because there'd be no other reason to have them. They'd give them to the priests. Of course, they didn't know they could do genetic analysis, but now you can do genetic analysis and say this is indeed a heifer, the ashes of a heifer, DNA or whatever. And, um, you know, again, so we don't know. Either way, these may be the ones that are going to be used, and it may be simply a matter of they already had the ones that are going to be used. But either way, it's very, very exciting. And so keep your eye on this. We'll kind of keep you guys posted if any of them work. And if indeed they do sacrifice them, uh, it's going to be very exciting here. Does it say how many heifers that they shipped over? Five. Five. Five heifers, yes. Five heifers. And I was trying to see one last thing if I could um, uh, about this. Maybe I see something. We'll we'll do it. We'll move on. I won't keep us because I wanted to make another comment about it. But I want to make sure it's in the article before I did. And I I can't find it. So we'll move on. I may try to find it later. Now, did you want to take this opportunity? Uh, before we move on right. to talk about the story yes. uh, that is in the news this week that's not in our stack, that didn't make it in our stack, because I guess this just happened Yes, uh, regarding Israel's leadership and a decision regarding a two-state solution. Right, and I think there was rumbling about it, and we may have mentioned it earlier, like you said, Greg, so I want to cover that, but it's in the news again, real bright, uh, shining today, because again, this week, uh, President Biden mentioned it at the UN in his speech to the nations, and now you're seeing um, uh, Lapid has met has met with, uh, you know, the Prime Minister has met with uh, uh, Hussein from Jordan. He's now met with our president. He's meeting with all these different people. And um, he's openly saying, we are now, for the first time since 1948, we are now willing to say, not only can we talk about a two-state solution, because others have talked about it. They said, yes, we'll talk about it. Even you know, uh, uh, Netanyahu talked about it, but he never was going to do it. He's come out and said, you know what, I think we're ready to move forward. We, we would actually be ready to do this. Give us the proper deal. We'll move forward. We'll do a two-state solution. Why is that huge? Number one, they've crossed over, I think, another line they hadn't crossed before, and that is saying not only will we talk about it, we're, we'll do it if it's right. But then this opens up the door, Greg, to divide not only Jerusalem, but to divide the Temple Mount, which right now is controlled by the um, uh, the, the, the Wafq out of uh, uh, Jordan, Jordan yeah. which is the entire Muslim, you know, Islam has control of it, in essence, for our listeners' understanding. But the Bible says, again, there's going to be the rebuilding of the third temple and sacrifices. There are indications there'll be a wall that's going to be built there. We talked about that in Ezekiel 42, whether or not that's how it's going to be, we can't say for sure. But either way, they're going to divide it up. And this opens a door to divide the Temple Mount up into two different halves. So now that you can have the worship again, you can have the third temple that will be built, as well as the, Jew, uh, the, the Muslims continuing to do their side. And I personally believe that as they push the dividing of Jerusalem, saying we're going to make this two capitals, 
a Palestinian nation that will be created for the first time in world history. There's never been a Palestinian nation. They called Israel Palestine because the, the Romans named it that because they hated the Jews. But there's never been a Palestinian nation or Palestinian money or Palestinian government. It's never existed in world history. But if they create one in the last days, which it appears they will as they divide the land up, then the, I can see the Jews saying this. Okay, we'll let you have a portion of Jerusalem, but we get a portion of the Temple Mount. No way, no way, no way. All right, well, then we're off. Deal's off on Jerusalem. Sorry. But if you guys come to the table and talk to us, okay. Yeah. And I believe it's going to be a give and take, and that's the Antichrist going to come in and broker this, and boom, here we go, Greg. The red heifer comes out. The altar's built. They build the temple, and man, this thing's underway with seven years while we're at the wedding supper of the Lamb in heaven. So basically all of the structuring regarding a two-state solution is getting developed right now. Absolutely. Everything will basically be... Uh, for lack of a better term, you know, kind of like finalized in the contract. And the only thing that requires, the only thing that's required then is signatures on the contract. And the signatures, which basically the authorization to do it, that will be held for the Antichrist yes. to do. And Greg, get this. Even as David got everything ready, he and got all everything the preparations, ready, yes. all Solomon had to do was come in and, and just build it. Boom. Right now. Everything's in place except for that. They've got all the implements. You've seen them. I've seen them. Yep. They're in the Temple Institute. They've already got priests trained. They've got the money. They've got the blueprints. They have everything in place ready to go. All they need now is somebody say, you can have that piece of property to do it. it David has once again got, and that was the last temple that was destroyed, right? Right. And now it's been redone. It's ready to go. All they've got to do is come in and then go and build this thing. It's so exciting and it's so close and we're watching it happen. So it'll be very interesting to hear what comes out in the coming days and weeks regarding a two-state solution if everything is you know ready to go but for some reason it's being put on hold for whatever reason yes that's even just further proof that you know everything's getting staged for that one world leader absolutely so. absolutely man this is great i start to say absolution because that's what they do but absolutely yes. <laughs> and probably that too. yes 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 <laughs> great that's great <laughs> all right let's take a look at some um anti-semitism what we refer to as jew hate the Bible says that uh, that will increase. Uh, Zechariah That's right. uh, tells us that uh, the Jews will become a stumbling stone to the, right. all the nations. That's right. Uh, the Times of Israel is reporting, and sometimes we've got to go out of this country to find out things that are going on in this country. Yes, we're going out of world, out of the out of the world, guys. So we're we're an out of the world <laughs> show. Uh, New York mayor uh, is condemning outrageous attacks on Jews as near daily assaults continue. Yeah, this has been going on, Greg, as you know, for quite some yes. time. And literally now, it's daily. They're attacking the Jews on a regular basis. The heat's turning up. I'm going to read this, and I'm going to tell you why it's happening uh, which and, and, and the purpose of it that God will use. There's a good and bad reason. New York City Mayor Eric Adams condemned the attacks on Sunday as, as the near, nearly daily assaults continued, drawing more, uh, calling for more U.S. government action. I quote, These outrageous attacks on the Jewish community will not be tolerated. Uh, as Adams said in response to a video showing a woman striking a Jewish man, we will keep our streets safe, Adams said, thanking police for their their quick response to these acts of anti-Semitic hatred. Hate crimes will not be tolerated in New York. We've strengthened our laws to further uh, hold the perpetrators accountable. Jews are consistently the group most targeted in hate crimes in New York City on an annual basis and in per capita and absolute terms with the Anti-Defamation League reporting a record high number of, of incidents this last year. Now, I said those good and bad or bad and good. What do I mean by that? It's bad. Overall, it's bad. We know that. And, and what's behind it? Remember, Satan hates God, and therefore Satan hates the Jews, and therefore Satan hates Christians. And pretty much in that order. He hates God most. He hates the Jews, I think, second, because they're the promise, direct promise, chosen people. And he hates us third, because we're the ones that have now been grafted in and are part of the cross of Jesus Christ. So it is the spirit of Satan and this whole demonic thing that's moving a hatred toward the Jews. There are people that hate Jews. They don't even know why. It's an unnatural just hatred. It's spiritual. It's supernatural. It's not natural. It's supernatural. Yeah. So that's the bad news that's there. But the good news, how God will use it. Remember, God uses even the things that Satan intends for evil. The Bible says in the last, last days, God will do two things. He'll gather the Jews back to Israel, and he'll drive them back to Israel. Now, why would it say that? Because there'll be some that the Holy Spirit just has to go, come on, guys, come back, come back. And they're going to move back to Israel. They might, they're not even saved, but they just, right. they're going to move. The, the wooing of the Spirit brings them back, and they know they need to go to their homeland. 
There's others that, Greg, they've got great homes, great jobs, great everything. I'm not leaving here. It's like Babylon. Only a tiny portion of them went back when all those guys started going back. Ezra and Nehemiah, there was only a tiny portion of the Jews because although it was Babylon, they had been accepted. They were now living there. They had businesses. They were wealthy. They were doing great. We've got wealthy Jews in America, very established Jews in New York City, even that aren't wealthy. I'm just saying well-established, some wealthy, some good businesses, some that just don't want to leave their home. And the only way they're going to go back is if they are driven back. It's going to take pressure to say, look, I can't take this anymore. I can't even live in peace. I'm headed off to Israel where I know there's people there that are going to be like-minded, and they're not going to attack me all the time. And it's going to be worth it. So I think you're seeing the enemy use it for evil. God's going to use this for good by turning up the heat to drive the Jews back in the last days to get them in the land so that God can fulfill his promise from Daniel chapter 9 in the final seven weeks for the nation of Israel pouring out a spirit on the Jews. You know, it might be worth mentioning, Pastor Mark, just because in case we have anyone new that's listening, uh, to understand when when you talk about um, you know God's chosen people, that it's it's not like God took a look at all of his kids and said you're my favorite. Right, you're exactly they, right. They, they were chosen for a job, yeah. and the job was twofold. Number one, to institute and carry the law, and the lineage yeah. through the Jewish people would bear the Messiah, would Great bear point. Jesus Christ. And be, and it's because of those things that Satan's hatred right. ha, started from the very beginning. Yeah, let me back it up even yeah. a little bit more than that. <laughs> really, it goes back to Abraham. Yes. And Abraham, it was one man. Yeah. One man with God. He said, you're my friend, Abraham. You're faithless. Yeah. Because of this, because of your faithfulness to me yeah. and our relationship, through your line... I'm going to bring the Messiah to save mankind who has fallen in the garden. Mankind, Jew and Gentile. Okay, it's going to be through your line. So I've chosen you to be the line that it comes through as an honor because of your friendship and faithfulness to me, which means your descendants through the line of Isaac, which is later detailed, are going to be the ones that are chosen by me because of you, Abraham. So God chose to send the Messiah into the world. God chose a man who honored him and gave him the honor of having that descendancy. Then the Jews through Isaac were born. That is the Jewish nation. Of course, the other side comes through Hagar and went right. the other direction. But through Abraham, it comes on down. And so he chose them to be the ones that bring the Messiah in. And therefore, they were the chosen carriers of that gene or that, that, that bloodline or whatever. It wasn't bloodline. God wouldn't be on the bloodline through virgin birth. But anyway, through their, through their line, through the Jewish bloodline, he brought uh, the Messiah in. So they were chosen as a people to yeah. be the preservers of that bloodline and to bring the Messiah in to save the world. That's why they're the chosen people. And God even makes a point. He goes, look, I didn't choose you because you were better than anyone else. He makes a point to yeah. say that. He says, yeah. as a matter of fact, you're a stiff-necked people. Yes. He said, <laughs> he said it's because of Abraham. He yeah. was my friend. And I, 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 I'm through him, I'm going to do that. And that's why they're the chosen people. So, yeah. yes, we're grafted in. We're one big family in God. But they got the honor, and they get the honor of saying God chose our people to bring the Messiah into the world to save all of mankind because of our father Abraham. So pretty cool privilege. Now let's illustrate really quickly just the spiritual battle in all of this because we're living in a time right now, Pastor Mark, where culture is a highly celebrated thing. A month doesn't go by that a month isn't named after some sort of ethnic group. Uh, Whether it's it's, uh, black heritage or Latin heritage or uh, Asian, whatever... And in that, you know, the culture itself is celebrated, whether it's celebrating the music, whether it's celebrating the food, whether it's celebrating the clothing that's indigenous to that ethnic group. Right. Now, this article talks about a video that's attached to it where this woman is attacking a Jewish man because he's wearing Jewish garb that is used to celebrate during certain holidays and things like that. So take a look at the spiritual battle going on, people, in a world that wants to celebrate heritage and and, and, and culture. That's right. Except for the Jews. That's right. To see a Jew in their cultural garb, if you will, that incites violence. Yep. Yep, it's it a does. spiritual battle. It is. Because it is a spiritual battle, because it's real, and because it's directly connected to God, Satan hates it and causes more you know, disturbance. Again, I think a lot of people hate the Jews, and they don't even know why. They just exactly. hate them. And they, they just hate them. And they'll say things like, well, they're running everything. Well, they're this. Like, Give me a break, guys. Um, that's nonsense. Um, they just hate them because they hate them. It's a spiritual battle. Absolutely. You are listening to Signs of the Times. It's our weekly look at Bible prophecy in the world's news. 
for Friday, September 23rd, 2022. This is episode 234, and we're glad that you're hanging out with us on this Friday or later on if you're listening or watching the podcast. Our listeners, Pastor Mark, by and far. Uh, Are love the two? By and far, yes. Yeah. Mr. By and we only have Mrs. Far. Yes, sorry. yes. Sorry, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Silliness. Get, uh, back, to, get back to the point. In spite of Pastor Mark, we, we have <laughs> listeners. So, anyway. Thank you, By, for your question. Yes. Thank you, Far, for sending us in. <laughs> Uh, but you know, our listeners, uh, love the word. They love the Lord and, yeah. and, and they're not just surface. They're digging in. They're bringing some strong they prophecy really are. They're questions. They're thinkers. We have thinkers, thinkers out there. And we, we, we like the, yeah. uh, we like Bible thought leaders. Yeah, because it brings questions. Yes, yeah, you're it right. Does. This is good. So our, uh, we've got three of them this week. Uh, first one comes from Michael. Uh, and Michael wants to know about Enoch going uh, to be with God before Christ to die for our sins. Let's read this here. He says, I have recently noticed, not sure why I never relished this before, why all believers before Christ died went to paradise in the middle of the earth, but it seems that Enoch was called up to God. Is there something I'm missing that in the Hebrew it means something different? Not up with God, but just removed from the world to paradise. I understand God can do whatever he wants. This just stumps me in understanding what happened yeah. to Enoch. Yeah. Yeah, where Again, did he go? Very logical question. Again, first yeah. of all, we have to establish what we do know. Uh, the Bible says that before the cross of Christ, no one went to heaven. Now, I paused to let that sink in. Before the cross of Christ, no one went to heaven. Now, they were believers. They're still alive in spirit, but where did they go? Now, how do we know they didn't go? Because Jesus said this. He said, no one goes to the Father except by me, and that was in reference to the cross. And he also said in in another place, no one has seen the Father but the Son. Now, of course, we know the angels are there, so that was the Lord just kind of, everyone else, that was included because we all know the angels are there. But his point was, it's the angels and the Son of God are the only ones that have seen the Father. That's it. There weren't any people yet in heaven, so the Lord himself made that declaration. So with that established, he realized, okay, nobody was in heaven, which means Enoch wasn't there. So where was he? The same place that all the other Old Testament saints were, and that is a place called Paradise, which is where Jesus told the man on the cross, today you will be with me in Paradise. And why did he not say, today you will be with me in Heaven? Because, remember, Jesus didn't even go to back up to Heaven until 43 days after that statement. He went to the heart of the earth three days and three nights, and then for 40 days he was here on the earth ministering, and then he ascended back up into Heaven, uh, you know, on the, on the uh, Mount of Olives at the other side, uh, uh, Bethany, Bethany area. So where were they? Well, the Bible tells us there was a basically... Um, a supernatural paradise that God had prepared, and that's where the believers went. And so when Enoch was taken, it, all it says is is that Enoch walked with God, and God took him. So God didn't take him to heaven. God took him to paradise, the same place he took the man who was hanging on the cross. Even like with Elijah. Remember, Elijah went up, um, uh, you know, Michael, he went up, and and but still, once he got out of sight, God would have taken his spirit and put him in paradise, and the body they couldn't find, I believe God buried that body somewhere. And I think that's because I think God supernaturally buried him and is protecting him for being one of the witnesses in the last days. But so don't be confused by this when, you know, it wasn't like he went down straight through the dirt or something. Because we know in the heart of the earth is where it says this paradise is. Whole nother study, Luke 16, Ephesians 4, there's all kinds of things we could talk about. But the reality is, to sum this up, uh, it doesn't mean that he went up to heaven. God just, God took his, took him, took his body. Whatever he did with his body, we don't know. Maybe yeah. he buried his body somewhere, but he took his spirit to paradise, and um, and and it could have been up and then down there. We know he took Elijah up first and then down there. But all it says is that God took him. You're not missing anything. It's just understanding what the Bible says and where we are before uh, the cross and where we are after the cross. So before that, he simply took him to paradise. Yeah. Now, what happens if a believer dies today? I always want to answer this because some are going, oh, no, am I going to go to some place besides heaven? No, if you know Christ... You will go straight to be with the Lord right now. The Bible says to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. It says that in Corinthians. So when we die now, we go straight to be with the Lord because now he's down on the cross and the door, he is the door, has been opened to heaven. And now we can all enter in that way. So there in the center of the earth, the, the paradise part yes. um, is empty. 
but the other part is still full. Yes, there is another. There's so two, they can look across that chasm yeah. and look at the emptiness. Isn't that interesting? It is. Well, there's two compartments, uh, the part where the unbelievers go, and they're held there until Judgment Day. And there was the part, Paradise, where the believers went. Okay, remember, Ephesians chapter 4, Jesus, it says, descended to the heart of the earth and led captivity captive. That means those that were down there um, um, as captives, yeah. he went and got them, and it says he then ascended with them back up to heaven. So that was when he released them to go into heaven when the door was opened. So the whole time they could see back and forth the guys that were suffering and those that were in paradise. Now they saw paradise emptied out, and they still have to stay there, and now they look over at paradise right now. They look over at it, and they're still over there suffering. It's just the whole Amazing. thing. Look, you want to know, you want to make sure you know Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's the bottom line. But yes, great question, yeah. and I hope that helps. All right, Pastor Mark Tracy from Alabaster, Alabama. Now, Alabaster, that sounds like a, a Bible town. You're not kidding. That's, that's a great name. Uh, she says, hello, Pastor Mark. My parents attend your church and have told me about the Way Media app. Well, good for your parents. I've been listening to Signs of the Times in your uh, Sunday morning sermons. I recently decided to listen to the evening service, uh, which would be our Sunday night service with Pastor Jason. Uh, it was about the thousand-year reign. During the message, it was brought up that there will be children born and that Satan would still be there as well. I'm confused. I thought that once we went to heaven, there would be neither marriage nor people given in marriage, so how will people still be having children? I also thought once Christ returns, we no longer have to deal with Satan, but it sounds like he will still be able to try and sway people away from Christ during this time. Yeah. Could you please explain it a bit more in a bit more detail what the thousand-year reign will be like? Yeah, again, a great question, yes. common question, and we need to lay out a timeline here. First of and all, it's my, easy to be confused about yeah, it. My guess is that, that Pastor Jason probably didn't say that Satan would still be there. He probably made a comment about how Satan would not yet be dealt with totally in the totally. end. I don't know what yes. he said, but I doubt that he said that. You know, uh, There's probably a misunderstanding of what he said there, but let me explain how this is laid out. Here's the bottom line. A lot of people think that they're, you gotta remember when, when Jesus Christ comes back in the second coming, uh, we're, we're in the Bible calls this and we're in a certain era right now. This is the era of mankind and the church and all. It's a, it's a time frame. Also known as the grace administration. Yeah. We're under grace. Right. It's a, yeah. yeah. So we're in a time frame right now. So there's, here's what happens when the second coming takes place. The Bible says there'll be two more time frames. Now there may be more beyond that, but there's two more major time frames the Bible talks about. At the second coming, a new time frame of a thousand years will begin. And that thousand years will be Jesus literally ruling the earth as the king of the earth on this actual earth for a thousand years. So it's not really heaven yet. Now, what that means is, sure, it's heaven in a a metaphorical sense or whatever. Jesus is here and we're with Jesus, so it's heavenly. It's metaphorically heaven on earth. There you go. It's heaven on earth. It's what we pray when we pray what they call the Lord's Prayer. Um, you know, On heaven as it is. Yes. Basically, we're praying for the Lord to come back and make things on earth the way they are in heaven. He will do that. He's going to answer that prayer we've been praying for thousands of years. He will come back to the earth. He'll sit as king literally in Jerusalem for a thousand years. So, again, that is not heaven yet. It's a thousand years on the earth. During that thousand years, the Bible says that mortals, that is those who don't yet have their new bodies and who made it through the great tribulation, will enter into that thousand years and they will be getting married and they will be having children. So you will have normal people getting married, having children during that thousand year kingdom that God's on the earth. So not yet heaven, but heaven on earth, so to speak. So that's where you're going to see people dying People getting married, et cetera. But it won't and be. those kids will have to make a decision for Jesus yes. during that time as well, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. And we know that some of them won't believe it or not, and that's why there's another battle at the end of the thousand years. And I'll get, get to that yeah. in a moment. But but just understand this, is that people there will be di- there will be people dying, death during the thousand years here. It's not yet heaven. That's where the confusion, c- confusion comes in. But also note this. During that thousand years, Satan will be locked in the center of the earth, probably down there in Hades or Tartarus, the other compartment mentioned in Second Peter that's down in the center of the earth. So note this, here's the bottom line. Satan will not be free to roam during the thousand years that Jesus is ruling on the earth in that era. Satan will be locked up and unable to interfere. So you will have an earth with people living without the temptation of Satan or the demonic realm. You'll have people getting married, kids being born, kids dying, and all that going on for a thousand years. And, and so what it shows us is Satan won't be there. So that's not an issue. But what it shows us is at the end of that thousand years, there's going to be a large group of people that decided I'm not going to give my allegiance to Jesus Christ. I just don't want to. And because of that, there's going to be a final battle. Satan will be let out. It tells us in Revelation 
At the very end of that thousand years, Satan will be released only for the purpose of regathering the people on the earth that are in rebellion to God. And there'll be a final battle. This is not Armageddon. This is a battle a thousand years after Armageddon. In that final battle, the Lord then will destroy the heaven and the earth and everything in it. It'll go up in flames. And then we enter that last era that we talked about, which we call heaven. And that is he'll create a new heaven and a new earth, which he talks about in Revelation at the very end. And then, of course, we'll be there forever without Satan or the demonic realm ever. They're going to be locked up in the lake of fire from that point on. They're done, and that's a done deal. Um, so what it shows us is, you say, how in the world could people see Jesus Christ in person and still choose not to follow him? Well, they did that 2,000 years ago. They saw him. They saw his miracles. They walked right among him. They said, we're not following you. It's going to be the same thing. Good point. It's going to yeah. be the same thing. And so and then, so that'll be dealt with. So, But it also shows us that what God is going to reveal during that thousand years, Greg, is that it's not our environment that makes us go the wrong direction. It's not where we live or where we're raised. Certainly those have an influence on our life and an impact. I get that. But what it ultimately shows, since there's no temptation from Satan or the demonic realm, it shows that the heart of man without God is naturally evil and chooses to do wrong. It's only until we're born again by receiving Jesus Christ that our heart changes. So those who don't choose to do that, they're going to follow that natural sinful heart all the way to the end of that thousand years and then be judged. Then we enter that last era. That'll be heaven as we know it. So a lot of people confuse the millennial kingdom with heaven. They're two different places. Millennial kingdom, you summed it up, great, Greg, heaven on earth. The new, new heaven and new earth, that's the heaven that we all think about when we grow up in kids' church or Sunday school going, one day we'll all be in heaven. Well, that is two eras away from now. But hopefully that explains the confusion and maybe gives you a say. So Satan will not be there during the thousand year reign and Satan will not be there in heaven. So no worries there. And your answer also uh, brings to mind those people that are desperately trying to colonize Mars or other planets because this place is so messed up. Well, guess what? All you're doing is just exporting the sinful nature to another planet, even if you could sustain yourself on another planet, and it's going to start all over again. Greg, you you may be thinking something. Let's say somebody really could go to Mars and colonize it, and all of a sudden the Lord comes back and it's a paradise, and they're up there like in all these rocks and and living like on oxygen (laughs) and trying to survive the business, and everybody's down there playing and having a blast in the ocean and just having fun. It's beautiful Earth for a thousand years going, What? have i done <laughs> what have i done exactly and how do i get back and how do i get back yes. that's right oh my goodness oh my okay pastor mark our last question comes from megan in south carolina and she wants to know about speaking in tongues she said lately i see more and more where churches are stating in their beliefs and mission statements that speaking in tongues is a required sign of a true believer and that you are not really saved if you don't While I do believe that speaking in tongues is certainly biblical and can be real, it is merely a gift and may or may not occur at certain times. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that speaking in tongues is required to identify a quote-unquote real Christian. Why has the false belief taken such a great hold? Is there a history with this or something new? It certainly seems to have grown in popularity. Yeah, well, you're exactly right. You do not have to speak in tongues to be saved. We do believe in the gifts. The Bible teaches them, and I believe everything the Bible teaches. And for those who say that the gifts aren't for today, I can't find that in Scripture. I, I've heard some of the Scripture that's tried to be used. There's one or two verses, but in context, they just they couldn't be anything farther from that. They just don't mean that. So yes, I do believe in the gifts, but tongues has nothing to do with salvation at all. Let me explain, first of all, how that came into the church, and then I want to read a couple of passages to give some clarity on tongues. The way it came into the church is, is if you look in the book of Acts, God was doing, again, an extraordinary outpouring of the Spirit as the church was established. And in the stories that they relate, almost every time, I don't know that it's every time, but almost every time the Holy Spirit's poured out in the book of Acts, the people spoke in tongues. So what happened is a lot of people grabbed that and said, see, that proves that proves that if you're truly saved, if you've been born again, then you're going to speak in tongues. Well, first of all, it doesn't prove that at all. It just has to do with the spirit being poured out and which always you know, doesn't even always mean that everybody's going to do that. But secondly, um, it, it's it, it's simply how God was working, pouring out a spirit. And they recorded, yes, people speaking in tongues in that way. And I do believe that God still pours his spirit out and people speak in other languages. You know, when you say speaking in tongues, it makes people nervous. But really, literally, all it means is another language. People speaking in another language supernaturally. That didn't, that wouldn't sound so scary to people. And that's all that it is. Um, so people, because we, we see the connection to speaking in tongues, Greg, when the spirit was poured out, oftentimes they're in Acts. They equate that with every time it's going to happen and everybody's going to speak in tongues. 
But then Paul later on clarifies that because here's what happened. The church in Corinth was using all the gifts, but they were untaught and they were using the gifts improperly. So he writes them an instruction manual in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14 about how to use the gifts. And listen to what he says. First of all, just so you can hear that not everybody speaks in tongues. He's writing to the church believers and he says this. Um, he says, but the manifestation of the Spirit, this is actually chapter 12, verse 7 of 1 Corinthians, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for, for the profit of all. For to one is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith. To another, gifts of healings. To another, the working of miracles. Note this, it's different gifts to different people, okay? They're not all getting all these gifts. It's different gifts to different people. To another, working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, discerning of spirits, to another, different kinds of tongues or languages, to another, the interpretation of that. But it's the same spirit working all in all. And then he goes over. So basically what he's saying is, uh, you know, everybody gets a different gift, but you all don't get the same gift. And then he says over here in chapter 14, verse one, he says, however, in, in, in context of this, he says, pursue love. That's the greatest of all. Love is greater, he says, than all the gifts and desire and desire spiritual gifts. Nothing wrong with that but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. It's another language. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to all men. So I'd rather you prophesy than tongues because nobody knows what you're saying. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. That is the, the gift of tongues is for the purpose. It builds you up. So it builds you up in the spirit individually. He says, but he who prophesies edifies the whole church. So everybody gets built up if you prophesy because we all understand what the guy's saying. But notice this. Here's what Paul says. Paul could not say this if everyone got the gift of tongues. He could not say this. He says, I wish you all spoke with tongues. So Paul just said to believers in Corinth, I wish everyone had spoken tongues. Well, obviously that means you don't. <laughs> not everyone <laughs> does. He says, I wish you all did, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than him who speaks in a tongue because... People know what he's saying, and you can be edified. So, again, tongues is one of the gifts. Uh, it is not, every believer does not have that gift. You asked how it came into the church, uh, Megan. The way it came into the church was, looking at Acts, you see that when the Spirit was poured out, people spoke in tongues. Many people throughout history have wrongfully interpreted that to mean that every time somebody gets saved, they speak in tongues. And if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. Paul then, because of that, goes to write a clarification in the instruction manual on how the gifts are used under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. No, you don't all speak with tongues. Uh, you know, I wish you did, but you don't. However, even more importantly than that, I wish you prophesied so the whole church would get built up and not just you because you're the only one that knows what you're saying. And even more than that, I wish that you all had love because the greatest of these is love. Mm, amen. Great questions this week, Pastor Mark. And now we'll uh, get back into articles for the rest of the time that we have left. Uh, it's time for the buffet of bad things. Yeah. Pestilence, plagues, disasters, and corruption. Yes. By the way, you know what buffet stands for in French? No, what does it stand uh, for? Get up and get it yourself. Oh, oh that's, that's interesting. That's buffet. A, well, karaoke, that stands for uh, tone deaf. Oh, yes. <laughs> a lot of people don't know that means tone deaf in, in Japanese. <sighs> AccuWeather. <laughs> Has reported that there was a. I'm sorry, that was pretty good. Uh, disaster declared in Alaska as intense storm sweeps homes off of foundations. Yeah, this is wow. something you don't think about typhoons in Alaska, no. whatever, do you? But again, remember the Bible says in the last days you're going to see again the groaning of the earth. Some people try to write it off the climate change, and there may be some changes because the earth's groaning. But it's it's not something we're doing because of our cars. It's the earth is groaning for the return of Christ, it says in Romans. Anyway, former typhoon uh, Murbach became one of the most, I'm, I hope I'm saying that right. I don't want to feel Was it Tycoon Mur Murdoch? No, no, yeah, was that yeah, it? Yeah, tycoon okay, There's Tycoon okay. uh, Murdoch and sorry. Typhoon Murbach. Okay, there you uh, go. Became one of the most intense storms to impact Alaska in recent history, causing significant flooding in conditions that made it difficult for emergency crews to reach evacuees. Multiple towns across western Alaska were evacuated, evacuated, which transitioned from a tropical cyclone to an intense non-tropical wind and rainstorm and became one of the strongest storms to hit the state in recent history. So you're going to see more wow. of this. This yeah. is a sign of the times. The Lord said you're going to going to see the earth groaning in the last days the world's going to call it climate change the bible says it's the earth groaning for the return of christ but you're going to see more of that so keep your eyes open uh, ap network news is reporting out of control 
STD situation is prompting call for changes. Yeah, and again, you would expect this with more and more uh, sexual misconduct. You're going to see this kind of thing happen. Uh, These sexually transmitted diseases. Again, I think this is another sign of the last days. You're going to see plagues increase, the Bible says, sharply rising cases of these transmitted diseases included a 26% rise in syphilis infections last year. And I quote, it's imperative that we work to build and innovate to expand prevention in the U.S. Again, they want to get better uh, infection rates it says including gonorrhea and syphilis have been rising for years and they want to come up with uh you know better um inoculations to whatever here i've got the best inoculation stay celibate don't involve yourself in sexual immorality the best cure for a sexually transmitted disease is don't be active sexually except inside of marriage because the odds of you nothing's going to spread in marriage but you and your wife if one of you bring it in which is bad enough but it's certainly not going to spread to the community and if neither of you have it it can't enter in and you'll never have one so just do what god says and you'll be safe paul paul even was telling the church listen if you're burning with lust get married right don't don't put yourself in a position to sin yeah yeah Again, it's, it, you know, you're not going to, it's going to increase because yeah. of sin and we know plagues in the last days. But I'm just saying to those out there that yeah. are listening, if you, if you walk pure before God, this is a non issue. Yeah. Well, non issue. And this is also indicative to Pastor Mark, I would think of a society that doesn't even know God, doesn't even know God's creation, God's design, why God designed marriage, why, why sex outside of marriage is bad? Yeah. Why it? Why it's this, why God calls it a sin? That's all right. of those things. That's right. That's right. Anyway, all right. Fox News: uh, Earthquake in Mexico is creating a desert tsunami. Yeah. Uh, Fifteen hundred miles away in Death Valley National Park. Explain that one. This is so amazing. I've never heard of this in yeah. my life. First of all, earthquakes are going to increase. Matthew yeah. twenty-four eight. Yeah. We know that. Yeah. Earth groaning. We talked about it. But look at this particular groaning. I didn't know this existed, but it makes sense. When you have a flooded cave, a 7.6 magnitude earthquake that rattled Mexico on Monday sent shockwaves that triggered a desert tsunami in a cave 1,500 miles away there in the National Park in Nevada. The quake rocked Mexico's central Pacific coast, killing at least one person. That's good that only one died. But it's bad that anyone died, but it, wow, it only killed one at being that large. That's, that's a blessing. About 22 minutes after the quake struck, the tremors, get this, Greg, caused a four-foot-high wave to slosh inside Devil's Hole in the National Park Service. Devil's Hole is a partially water-filled limestone cave in Nye County, Nevada, and is hundreds of feet deep, according to the NPS. Officials described the surprising quirk of geology as a desert tsunami, but said it is properly known as a, 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 a seish, I think is how you say that, and a seish is a standing wave in an enclosed body of water. So in that cave, it shook it so hard that the water in that cave did a four-foot wall of water. So, you know, I don't know, how do they know that? Well, somebody down there, uh, yeah. some kind of equipment, you know, again, how do you know there was a tsunami? You know, I don't know. But again, that to me is interesting. Yeah, that's an amazing thing. And so, um, again, pretty amazing, but very, very interesting to see uh, what's going on. But you're going to see more of that kind of stuff because Absol- the Bible says it. Absolutely more. You know, it made me think, too, about the caves and all of these caves that maybe have water in it and what Genesis talks about what happened during the flood. Yeah. So you got to wonder right. if all of these caves that we see, you know, we don't think about back to Genesis right. are nothing more than abandoned water portals. Yeah. That God Some of them, no doubt. That God used yeah. to, to flood the earth along with the rains up above when he released the, the clouds. Well, we the know there's an enormous amount of water yeah. under the earth all yeah. over the planet. We know that. I know. It's amazing. Yeah. Anyway, more on that, I'm sure. All right. Time for some high church with low expectations. <laughs> Uh, ChristianPost.com, and you're going to have to really explain this one, because this headline is very interesting. 48% of evangelical leaders report being blacklisted over their beliefs. So is blacklisted because they believe in the Word of God, or blacklisted because they're believing in heresy? Uh, In which direction are we going? Yeah, we're talking, looks like the Word of God here and making a stand. It says the the survey from these evangelical leaders said they've been canceled by others, and I quote, as a way of expressing their disapproval for the leader or the leader's point of view. Cancel culture is the practice of excluding any person, organization, or work as a way of expressing disapproval. Uh, NAE President uh, Walter Kim explained, While it is important to be clear about unacceptable behavior and unorthodox positions, 
this phenomenon makes it difficult to have a meaningful, vulnerable, and open dialogue about the real challenges we face. Now, again, I don't know the exact issues they stood on, Greg, so you bring up a good, a good question. But I get the idea because it's cancel culture. It's probably those that are coming out and saying, look, I'm standing on the Word of God. I'm standing against these things that are wrong culturally, and that's what I'm sure is they're talking about. And so they're doing the same thing YouTube does. And Twitter does. Nope, we're going to cancel you. So within the evangelical community, we have, again, a lot of unbelievers. We have a lot of people that are very politically motivated, even more so than spiritually. So if something doesn't line up with their political viewpoint or what they believe, rather than the Bible being their guide, uh, they're letting the politics or their own viewpoints, especially as an unbeliever, and they're just canceling. You know, hey, we're not going to listen to you. You can't come to our event or whatever. That's going to happen more and more. There's going to be an isolation, and smaller and smaller numbers are going to be speaking the truth as God turns up the heat. But remember what the Lord said. He said, the way to life is narrow. A lot of people don't like to hear that. He said, few there be that find it. So even within the body of Christ, you've got a lot of fakes that are out there, and God's going to thin it out. Who's the real? Who's the fake? And now we're going to rock and roll. And so, you know, let them cancel us. The bottom line is the Lord's not going to cancel you if you're making a stand for what's right. Um, you're only going to get more reward when it comes to being in heaven. So I think we better get ready for it. And I think it's time for us as pastors and believers to get tough skin. We always talk about what one famous believer said in the past. You've got to have the skin of a rhino and the heart of a child to serve God. You've got to stay soft, but you've got to be ready to take harpoons of the world and sometimes even within the walls of the church, and you keep on trucking. Yeah. All right, Pastor Mark, Christian Headlines reporting that a uh, Southern Baptist committee disfellowships a church for affirming homosexuality. First of all, good for them. Good for them for making a stand. How often do we see a lack of church discipline within the church? And so the church becomes watered down and corrupt. The Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee voted Tuesday to disfellowship two churches from the convention, including one for its stance on homosexuality. The Executive Committee approved recommendations for the Credentials Committee to disfellowship College Park Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina for, and I quote, Open affirmation, approval, and endorsement of homosexual behavior and Amazing Grace Community Church in Franklinville, New Jersey, for its, and I quote, lack of cooperation demonstrated to resolve concerns regarding alleged discriminatory behavior. No more details on that. Baptist Press, the news service of the Southern Baptist Convention, was the first to report the vote. So I want to say good for these guys. So many people anymore just let anybody get away with whatever they want. If you don't have any discipline within the church, it only goes more and more corrupt. Good for these guys. Way to make a stand. You know, and you see the lack of discipline in the church today, uh, and really in our world. We can go outside the church. But then you can go back into the Old Testament and see their, uh, you know, all of the the laws and what the punishment was for violating laws and the reasons behind that. A lot of it had to do in the admonitions, the, the, the edicts that were given was to keep yourself pure, to keep yourself separated so you did not become corrupted. That's right. And for the sake of the community, a lot of times people were excommunicated or put out of the synagogue That's right. because of these things. That's so right. the, the infection or the thought infection or the action infection did not continue in yeah. the community. Even as leprosy is a type of sin in the scripture, yeah. they would remove the leper outside the camp until they were shown that they didn't have leprosy. And if they did, they stayed outside the camp. Yeah. Good point. Yep. All right. Uh, good news wrapping up uh, for our Friday edition here. September 23rd, Christian headlines reporting Zambian Christians are rejoicing as Bibles are translated into their native tongues for the first time. Imagine being able to read now the good news. I love it, and it ends so precious, Greg. We had to put this in. Christians in Zambia, Africa, celebrating the latest milestone in Bible translation for Bibles in their native tongues, according to CBN News, uh, led by Wycliffe Associates, an association that offers Bible translations in countless languages. Uh, Currently, over 5,000 people are working in Zambia to translate the Bible into 20 native languages. This is amazing. Believers in Manza, Zambia, Zambia were reported dancing after they got to read and listen to the uh, New Testament in Oshi, their native language, for the first time. And notice this quote. I love it. It's like God speaking in our language, Mumba said. We well, you know what God is speaking in your language, Mumba. And I'm so glad they're getting to hear the word of God. I'm so glad that, that God's word transforms lives. And, and would to God that all of us would celebrate when we hear God's word this way. And I want to encourage our believers as we come to the end of the program today. Look. We should be celebrating the Word of God. If you're taking the Bible for granted, you don't understand. Uh, granted, you don't understand what it is that God has done for us. This is such a blessing to be in a nation that not only has the Word of God but multiple Bibles in each home. Don't take that for granted. Be in the Word of God. Be in prayer. This is the Word of Life. It's what gives you life. It's what sustains your life. And again, if you're out here listening today 
and you've never, ever known this life. I just want you to know this. You need to understand that Jesus died for you. He didn't just die for the sins of the world. He died for you individually. And if you will choose to receive him and ask forgiveness of your sins, the Bible says you'll be born again. Believe he died for you on the cross. You'll be born again. You'll have new life. You're going to be with us in heaven forever. And even though you have Bibles in your hand, you're probably saying right now, I never understand it. The Bible doesn't make sense. Let me tell you something. You give your life to Jesus Christ for real from the heart. You repent of your sins. The Bible says you will understand the word of God and he will give you new life. And even as they were dancing in the streets, you're going to be dancing in the streets as well. And so I encourage you make that decision today and I, we would rejoice with you if you do that. And we rejoice with those people in Zambia. What a, what a precious story that is and how wonderful it is to know our Lord. Yeah. And you know, what's great is that now they get to read what we just finished on Wednesday nights here at Calvary Chapel. And as we go through the Bible on Wednesday nights, Pastor Mark just finished going through the book of Isaiah yeah. and it is the Bible encapsulated, consolidated in one book. It is absolutely a phenomenal read. You would never think that it would be so powerful and so deep, but it is. I encourage you to read it. Listen to Pastor Mark's study on it on our website at The Way Media. Just go to the Calvary Knoxville section under the Wednesday night study. And we appreciate you doing that and appreciate you staying with us. We will be off the air next week and we will return October 7th to continue to discuss and learn how the things happening in our world today point to God's prophetic word as signs of the times. Follow.